that one of our partnership ministries is a part of the Kowloon Tong Alliance Church and the Chinese Christian Missionary Alliance is that of Alliance Global Serve, which uh, I call, if, if you hear me explain it, our missions wing uh, that has work going on in Africa, in inside China and Cambodia. You know, we've got Linda Reeves and the team there. Uh, and so Reverend William Lung has come to share. Reverend Lung is in charge of Alliance Global Serve and has many stories to share of how God is at work and how we can get involved. Welcome, Reverend Lung. It's so good to see you again. Thank you for sharing. So good morning, brothers and sisters. It's good to worship with you uh, this morning. Uh, So first of all, I would like to um, express our appreciation for your support in the Light Up the World project. Um, So I wonder how many of you have seen that promotional video last November? Okay, thank you. Yeah, so how many of you still remember a small clip from that promotional video? (laughs) This little boy said, night? No night, right? And uh, some of you haven't seen it, so I guess maybe uh, after the sermon, if I have time, then I would play the whole thing again. And uh, so Light Up the World is a special project that we started up last uh, last Christmas. And as you know, Hong Kong has earned its reputation to be the Pearl of the Orient. So adding to the beauty of the Hong Kong skyline, um, there is a fantastic show called the Symphony of Light that has been going on for the last, I guess, eight or nine years. So every evening, this Symphony of Night would start at 8 p.m. for about 15 minutes only. But guess how much we spent on that Symphony of Light, the Hong Kong government. I was told every year we spend about 44 million Hong Kong dollars for that symphony of light. Just 50 minutes every evening. So let us take a look at another picture, which is called the Earth at Night. So comparing to the skyline of Hong Kong, you can see where are the dark spots on Earth at night. So according to the World Bank, 1.2 billion people, so you're talking about 20%, close to 20%, of the world population still live in dark in a dark world without electricity, without light at night. So Africa alone, you are talking about 500 million people. So those who live without electricity are being kept to live in a dark world and deprived of other things in life, such as some of the basic medical cares. All the medical equipment needs what? Electricity. They are deprived of education, healthy cooking, and thus keeping them in poverty from generation to generation. So your church member, Mrs. Reeves, we talked about her this morning, volunteered to serve in Cambodia for one year. She is a wonderful lady. I have known her for 12 years, 
And in the last seven or eight years, every year she would when she would come to this place called Bahoy in the Bailan province of Cambodia. So with the support of CAIS, seven years ago, in 2006, we have started as a school. But this place, up till now, still have no electricity, no water supply, and there is no paved road up to this part of the country. And Mrs. Reeves, in the last seven years, out of her own pocket, would make her way up to this part of the world to serve the students there, to help the teachers, to encourage the teachers. So we, uh, about a year ago, only about a year ago, we found out how difficult life was for the students, for the teachers up in that mountain areas. So seeing their needs, AGS started up this Light Up the World campaign. So we are so thankful for your participation. So last Christmas, with your donation, we uh, brought a lot of this solar-powered lighting system to Cambodia, to Bailan, to Bahoy, and also other communities just like Bailan. And we also took them to different parts of the world, like in Senegal, West Africa. So we gave them out to different Muslim villages and also six other countries in Africa and also earthquake areas in China. So one day, uh, when I look at this picture, the earth at night picture, I ask myself one question. Even though we are giving out these solar-powered nights to these communities, we are still just like a drop from the tip of a ladle into the ocean. Sounds right? So what effect would it create? What impact are we doing? So what is the use? So after some thought and reflection, no, I found I was wrong. Much has been achieved for the glory of God. I still remember hearing this from different village chiefs as soon as they received this present from us. With big smiles, with excitement, they said to us, our village is your home. You are welcome to come into our village anytime, anytime. It's a simple welcome, but it has profound meaning, implications. You know, in these Muslim villages, the elders and the chief are the most important people. If they allow you to go into the village, then you can go into their village. Without their permission, you are not allowed to walk into their village. So what you are saying, what they are saying is, you are welcome to come in. They open up the doors for our local church planters to go in, to start Bible study groups, to do evangelisms. See, brothers and sisters, what we are doing, giving out this 
solar power panel actually open up a door to these villages. And let me share with you this very true story. So after giving out uh, the unit to this particular chief in one morning, we left. And then in the afternoon, this chief sent uh, a, a man, a, a, a someone in the local people they call a man of peace to uh, our hotel. And he invited us to go back the next morning. Guess what? <laughs> the man of peace told us, there is a lady in that village. They believe she is possessed. And they want us to go back to do exorcism. Oh, man. <laughs> What do we do? <laughs> and then my team member asked me, Pastor, have you ever done that before? <laughs> and I looked at them and I said, <laughs> I could not even handle you little devils. <laughs> How could I do that? So that evening we prayed earnestly. So the next morning, we went back to that village, and then the man of peace took us to this mud house. As we entered the house, we saw this, this thin lady lying on the bed, and her husband was sitting by the bedside. As we entered into the room, everybody was so quiet, and all the eyes were looking at me. Come on, pastor, start the act. <laughs> oh, my heart was pounding. So with a prayerful heart, I start to ask this lady what happened. So through the interpreter, she said she has been sick for the last two to three weeks. And then she said every night she would dream the same dream. So I asked the husband when she dreamed, would she get wow or things like that? And her husband said, no, she was very peaceful. But the dream to them is so strange and they could not understand. So I asked her, what did you see in the dream? And then the, she said, for two to three weeks, every night, she would see a man dressed in white appearing to her. So I asked her, Whether you, were you afraid, were you scared at that time? And she said, no. She was not afraid. She was not scared. She just couldn't understand what's going on. Oh, so I was so happy to hear that, you know. So it's not a case of demon possession. At that point, I was so sure God is doing great things in this house. So we start laying hand on her and start to pray for her. So in our team, we have four nurses, community nurses. So after praying for her, so all the men walk out of the house and we just leave the four nurses with her. And with the translator 
uh, they found out what's exactly wrong with her physically. So the nurses gave her some medicine, medications, and then start sharing the gospel to her. And at the end, the ladies, uh, the nurses asked the lady whether she wanted to accept Christ or not. She looked at her husband, and her husband gave her permission to do so. So the nurses were so happy, and they came out and asked all the men to walk back in. So once again, I asked the translator to share the gospel one more time. I just want to make sure, you know, without translations. So the local church planter shared the gospel one more time and asked her whether she wanted to accept Christ. So again, she looked at her husband, and her husband nodded his head. So she became the first believer in that village. Amen. Glory to God. He is doing great things. See, we bring light to darkness. But the Bible tells us that Jesus is the true light. In John chapter 1, verse 5, it said, The night shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So, brothers and sisters, it seems that we are doing just a very little thing. But this little thing became a blessing to these people. And these little blessings brings glory to God. So let us read John chapter 1, verse 6 to 9 together. So that through him all might believe. He himself was not the night. He came only as a witness to the night. The true night that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So in this passage, in, in the passage here it says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. When I look at this passage, I am convinced. I'm just like John, a witness, sent by God to this place. Although not a long-term career missionary in Africa, just short-term, two weeks over there, but God can use me to do great things for His glory. And I'm sure God can also use any one of you to do great things for His glory. The short-termers are also witnesses to testify concerning the true light and we pray that through our witness that all might believe. By bringing them light, this solar power uh, lighting system, it helps open doors that the true light shines into that inner world that is filled with spiritual darkness and bondage. And this morning, I want to challenge you. Think about to be a witness of God. God called us together to worship Him, to bring Him glory. And you should think about that. God, this morning, calling you to be a witness. All Christians are to be the light of the world. All are called to witness to the light. And God still calls some people in a special way for a special task. 
be ready and open to hear that call and accept that commission. Don't assume what you are doing now is your only mission for the future. God may be locking in your heart this morning. You may be thinking, just like Reverend uh, Ajil and Calvin was saying, we are small flame, but if we trust our life to God, God can use that small flame to light up someone else's life and bring glory to God. And I'm sure every Christian are familiar with the, what is mean by darkness and bondage. But this morning, I want to share with you something that I learned in the last two years. Now, there are many challenges that we face today as a church. And uh, in here, you will see five of these challenges. I just summarized them. But I'm not going through all these five challenges. And I want to put our focus on the last one, the impact of 414. So what do I mean by 414? So what does that mean? So 414 actually refers, refers to the age gap between 4 and 14 years old. And uh, when you look at this map, the red areas are the concentrations of the 414ers. Almost 50% of the population in those red areas are 414ers. And why are they so special? According to a study in North America, 85% of the Christians now they come into contact with Christianity at the age between 4 and 14. So this is a very important age gap. And in the 10-14 window, you are talking about 1.2 billion people between the age of 4 and 14. And they need help with spiritual, mental, physical, relational, relationship, economic, and social needs. If, if we can help them change their life, you're talking about changing the next century. If we help them to achieve the potential that God has given them, you are talking about impacting the world tomorrow. So the 414ers is a group that will transform the world tomorrow. I talk about, this morning I'm going to talk about Africa, I'm not. So this morning you heard about the story, Hexen Taylor to China. But this morning I'm going to share a lot more story on Africa. So last year, last Christmas, when I went to Senegal, so Senegal is a very beautiful country. So along the coastline, you are thinking you're in Florida or in LA area but within 15, 20 minutes away from the coastline, away from the capital city, Dakar, you will come into these kind of villages. Very poor, very poor villages. So one day, we uh, visit this village, and I still remember, as we walk into that village, all of a sudden, somebody grabbed my hand from behind. So at that moment, I thought, 
it must be an old man because the hand was so rough. But then when I turned my head around, I was so shocked. It was a young boy. You are talking about a boy between the age of 10 to 12 years old. So he grabbed my hand, he was so joyful, and he just took me to the village. So when we got into the village, and we start talking, and then I, through the translator, I asked the young boy, just like this morning, what do you want to do when you grow up? Superman <laughs> or Batman? And you know what this young boy said to me? And he said, I want to be a shepherd boy. Oh, I look at him. That's your dream? Shepherd boy? I paused for a moment. I don't know how to react. But then God touched my heart. God said, King David was a shepherd boy, right? King David was a shepherd boy. So I start to ask myself one question. What can I do to help this little boy to become a knowledgeable, a wise shepherd boy so he won't stay in that poverty cycle and won't pass that poverty cycle to the next generation? And then I asked one girl, and this girl was about, like again, 12 to 14 years old. And the girl looked at me, and, he, and then she turned her head and looked at her mother. And then the mother, through the translator, shared me her story. Her mother said, when she was born, they were so poor. They didn't even have the money to go into the town to get a, a birth certificate. So by the time she reached the age for primary school, her mom took her to the school. But then the principal asked, where's your birth certificate? No birth certificate, no school. So some NGO gave them some money so she could afford to go to the town to get the birth certificate for her daughter. So she took her daughter to the official, to, to the uh, government office. And then the official asked her, okay, so when is your birthday? What is your date of birth? And then her mom looked at the official. Um, when she was born, the dog bit the chicken. <laughs> what does that mean? Brothers and sisters, you laughed because it sounds funny. But for the poor mother, she never received an education. She doesn't understand what the official is talking about asking. She could not tell. In her mind, they only remember things with events that's happening in the community. No date of birth, no birth certificate. So she just took her daughter back to the village. No school, no education. And then her mom said, she's going to get married, married to her uncle as his fourth wife. 
brothers and sisters, this is a Muslim village. A man can marry four women. And then the thing that really hit my heart was this. The mother said, this is her lot in life. This is her social safety net in life by marrying to her uncle. I don't know how you feel when you heard about this. My heart was broke at that time. How could that happen? You're talking about the 21st century, but places without electricity, without light, without the true light, they will be deprived of everything in life that we think is common, that is normal. They are poor, not because of laziness. They are poor because they are deprived of a chance, a chance to learn, a chance for an education. So brothers and sisters, this morning, when we look at Africa, look at these poor communities, I hope it will touch your heart to say to God, to respond to God and say, God, I want to be your witness and bring the true light to these people. And how are we going to do that? Let us read John chapter 1, 14. The word became flesh and make his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Dear and brothers and sisters, chapter 1, verse 14 is one of the most important events in history. The passage is saying, God, on Christmas Day, came to earth. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. The phrase really means God pitched His tent among us. Eugene Peterson translated this verse as, The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. The passage is saying, on Christmas Day, Jesus packed up his tent and moved into our neighborhood and lived among us. When the Son of God migrated, moved, pitched his tent among us, the Son of God became human. Our God is not a distant God, a distant force, a distant concept. When Christians talk about love, we are not talking about a distant concept. The passage is telling us that our God is a relational God that came down from heaven to reach us, to look for us, and show us His love and His truth. Full of grace and full of truth is not means God's grace is not a wishy-washy kind of grace. God's grace is a costly grace 
it caused Jesus to die on the cross. In fact, this is why he became human, became flesh. He had to become human to die in our place. When Christ died, God was true to him to himself because sin was punished. And when Christ died, God was gracious to us because Christ alone bore the punishment and not us. The cross is where the fullness of grace and fullness of truth that shines most brightly. So brothers and sisters, for the world to understand the love of God, we have to follow his footsteps, to dwell among them, to move into their neighborhood. It is a costly thing. It is easy to say we love the world when we confine ourselves in the house of God. But God wants us to break out from these four walls and move into the neighborhood and dwell among the people who has never heard of Christ yet. Missionary in the past, Hassan Taylor, they moved, they, he pitched his tent among us Chinese. And today, we have to learn from God, from Jesus Christ, from the missionaries before, and move to other places. We have, um, we have one lady working in Senegal. When, we, when I visited her last Christmas, she told me to where she served. And I was so surprised. It was really at the edge of the desert. So it's, uh, it's what, it was my first experience, really walk into a desert. This lady served there for about a year. But when she first moved into that place, she wrote back to me and she said, Pastor, like, it was like only about a month after she moved into that neighborhood. And she wrote back to me and she said, Pastor, my leg, both her legs were bleeding badly. Why? Because she was bitten by bugs over in the desert. So she had to keep scratching, scratching, and scratching. So her neck were bleeding badly. When I look at her newsletter, I just prayed for her. But when I went there, then I saw what she had gone through. After about two months in this desert place, she went back out to the capital city, Dakar. So she was only gone for about two weeks. She went back to that village, and to her surprise, the villager built her a house. But you are talking about a house that is only about three meters long, two meters wide. So you are not talking about a big house. She opened the door and showed me that house. 
And then the first thing I saw was her tent. Again, it just broke my heart. I didn't even know I was sending her to live in a tent like that. She stayed in that tent outside in the sand for two months. And then the villagers wants her to stay. She was there using her very little knowledge of French to teach English and to teach the kids mathematics. And the villagers want her to stay. And that's why they built her the house, so she can stay inside a shelter. But when I look at this picture again and again, my heart's moved. She moved into the neighborhood. She picked up her tent and pitched her tent among those people. Brothers and sisters, God has given you a gift, a skill. You can use your gift, you can use your skills to make a lot of money for you, or even to donate for the cause of the Great Commission. But this morning, God wants to lock in your heart and say, can you pick up your tent and live among people who has never heard of the gospel? I went to Congo. Congo, um, we have a missionary couple working in Congo. Some of you have met her before. Uh, the white girl, Joyce, she grew up in the Kowloon Church. She married to an African, and he is an eye doctor. Their hearts, their hearts want to reach the unreached people for God. So they choose Congo, and they went there to open the first eye cleaning in Congo. But she didn't go to the capital city, you know why? Because she said to me, the capital city, people there, they can afford to grow across the bridge to another country to get medical treatment. She chose a place that is 600 kilometers away from the capital called Infondo. They went up there, they started up this eye cleaning. She will be back in January, so I will leave her story for her to share with you. But when I got there, I met another, another missionary from Winnipeg, and I want to introduce her to you. This uh, lady, she was a community nurse, but she uh, helped the people outside of the hospital boundary. One day, she came over to me and she said, Pastor, you want to come and visit my friends? So I said, sure, I would love to visit your friends. So she took me out, and then the first person she took me to was a man who was paralyzed. And then I looked at the wall of that mud house, and I saw a picture that was fading away. And I asked them, what's that lady in the picture? And that was the nurse. She had spent 20 years in Congo. 
She had gone through the war, everything, and she's still serving them in this poor part of the country. And 20 years, in the last 20 years, every week she would go around to visit this patient. And then she took me to another place, and this place was actually just right outside the hospital compound. This young man, 40 years old, when, she, when he got up one morning, he was paralyzed for no reason. A farmer, paralyzed. So you are talking about she, he could not do anything, do any work. He could not do farming anymore. The nurse built a house just outside the hospital compound so that this man and his wife can stay there. And every day, he would go out to visit him, to encourage him, to give him medicine. And then you look at this picture. He's still at this age. She is close to 70 years old, still helping the local build people to build mud houses. What she did touched my heart very much, even though she is not one of our AGS missionary. He pitched, she pitched her tent among the Congolese. Brothers and sisters, this nurse from Winnipeg, I can imagine she could make big money back in Canada, but she chose to serve places where darkness is still strong. She chose to serve. She chose to bring the true light to places where it's still darkness. Uh, sorry, I didn't notice the time. It's getting late, <laughs> so I guess I will stop here. So as a summary, let us read chapter 1, verse 6 and 7 again. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that night, so that through him all might believe. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. And God asks us to do one thing. Go out, be a light to this dark world, so that people can come into the knowledge of the true light. Let us pray. Father God, as we come to you this morning in this comfortable place, we give you thanks, for you are the one who died on the cross so that we can be free, so that we can have salvation, the assurance of salvation. But Father, this morning we come before you, we ask that the Holy Spirit will touch our hearts. For you, your heartbeat is for the unreached people. So touch our heart that we understand you and we are willing to go out to serve you, to be the light of this dark world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.